Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We're in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42 today, and we will look at how the church grew, and if the church grows, we have to talk about evangelism, and, and that does tie in. I, Christmas is about that goodwill towards men, and now that Halloween's over, we can say that, right? It's, it's Christmas season, but when we talk about goodwill towards men, let's talk about evangelism the real goodwill towards men. Um, Evangelism means to share the good news. Christ died to redeem us from sin. Uh, Most religions don't care about evangelism, meaning by that most religions... Whether you worship their gods, do their rituals or not, that's up up to you. Many religions, most religions in the world, it's not about trying to get you to believe what they believe. It's you do your thing, we're going to do our thing, let let us do our thing. And when we look back through history, we can say, well, that's not all. Yeah, but then there were those ones that did forced conversions at the point of a sword. And, and, and the ones that did, con- and, and then, you, of course, we ask that question, is it really faith? If, at sword, if you're holding a sword to my neck and saying, convert or die, well, you're maybe making me go through the motions, but that's different than a change to my heart, to my character, to my morality and ethics and that's where Christianity is more unique than a lot of other religions because Christianity, true Christianity, you know, there have been some times when, Christ, when, when the church could have been a little better on this, but true Christianity says God loves you and he, and he doesn't want your actions that lead you into sin He doesn't want those actions to produce their natural consequence, which is eternal separation from him. And because of that, therefore, we want you to change. We want you to see that Jesus is the answer to your problems, but you need to come to see that yourself. You need to come to the realization that your actions are damning you. And we want that conversion. We want that good news that there is a solution to your problem. We want you to see it, not because we're forcing you to see it, but because, because when, when, when exposed to the gospel, the good news, the Greek word for gospel is, frankly, the word evangelism, euangelion. Uh, when, when exposed to the good news, we want you to see the truth of it and see why. Because we want you to agree with me, no, I don't matter. Because God is real and he loves you. And he loves all people, and he wants all people to come to salvation through his son Jesus, but he doesn't force it. Because there's two options. Either God is, we know that God wants all men to be saved, and we know that all men aren't saved. Therefore, there are two options. Option one, God is a weakling and can't do what he wants, 
or two, he leaves it up to us. And so, knowing therefore that God leaves it up to us, it's our choice. Do we want, do we want to accept the good news? And so this takes us back to Acts chapter 2 in the early church. And we've been reading through Acts chapter 2, how the early church grew, by, not by sword, not, not by forcing people, but by the sharing of the gospel. You know, Acts 2.36, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. Evangelism means to share the good news, and that's the good news, that Christ Jesus died for our sins to redeem us. Christianity must be, by nature, evangelistic, meaning that we share the good news. Not because we want people's money, not because the person with the highest church attendance wins some prize, not, not because if I can get everybody to agree with me, that means I'm right, I've got the majority on my side, not, not because of that. We believe that God loves people and wants them to know that he loves them and wants them to know that he has offered them salvation because he loves them. This is the message of Christ. This is why we are the church. So we're in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. And unlike the last couple of weeks, where I've overloaded us with an awful lot of scripture, this is kind of a shorter passage. But there's a lot here. Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, unto the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There are some lessons we learned from this. The first lesson is that the church grows through good teaching. Now, everybody knows I'm a fantasy, science fiction-y kind of person. So you say, Jason, so you like all those movies that... I, I, the people that were nerd, can I, can I say, I'll use the word nerds. The people that were nerds that grew up reading that stuff, like me, are now the ones making the movies. And I've heard so many people say we're overwhelmed with, with comic book movies and science fiction movies and shows. Jason, you really, I don't really like them. There's this new Rings of Power show that came out based on Lord of the Rings, but it's not close to the books, and so I didn't watch it. First comic book I ever owned was a comic book called The Eternals, and the, the movie came out for it, and I didn't really like it that much because I had a favorite character in the comic book. His name was Makari. He was like a six foot four, wisecracking um, guy that could run super fast. And in the movie, they made him into a like five foot two black woman that was mute. The exact opposite of what he was in the comics. And I'm not saying it wasn't that, that, that that's what, but, but it wasn't what, he, what I fell in love with in the comic book. And so, and I'm going somewhere with this. So I, I'm not, I'm not a, I, I didn't like the incredible changes. And I don't get the concept of saying, this is this amazing book. Three Musketeers. I love the Three Musketeers. I haven't seen very many books that are an awful lot like, or movies like the books. I, I don't understand the line of reasoning of saying, let's take this book that everybody loves and let's change it 
so that it has our stamp on it. And now it's a gamble on whether everybody's going to like it or not because it was a popular book or comic book for a reason. And all of these changes, it's no longer like the source material. Now, I don't care whether you agree with me on the Eternals movie or not. Most of you probably haven't seen it. I care when people have that attitude towards the Bible. This book has served the church great for 2,000 years. It served the church perfectly for 2,000 years. If there's been failures in the church, it's been on our inhuman, imperfect, human, imperfect version that I don't always follow it well. But the book is perfect, and I don't understand this modern mindset of, well, it's a little bit offensive. We should make some changes to it. We should modernize it. We should, we should tweak it to a modern audience. It's not really a perfect book. It's one thing if you're going to take Lord of the Rings and tweak it, change it, make a movie out of it. Um, It's just Lord of the Rings. Maybe a great book, but it's just a book and I don't care. I care about this. I certainly don't. Comic books I really don't care about. If If you tweak my comic books and change them and now I don't like the movie, whatever. I can still read my comic books. The mindset that we have the right to say, this book has some flaws that need to be modernized. This book needs to be changed into, to to fit a modern audience. And we're not talking about things like the color of the pews, the style of music. You know, Martin Luther got in trouble for writing the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We all know that great classic. But it wasn't a great classic when he wrote it. The tune was, he, he wrote the words, but he just stole the lyrics from a song that they, he, he, or he wrote the lyrics, he stole the music, the tune, from a modern song that people, it was a drinking song. And he just took a song that they were singing in the, bar, in the bars and in the taverns, and he thought, well, they already know the tune. Let's just put new words to it. So there was a lot of kickback against that song in the early days, and that was the modern song people were fighting against. I think it's very funny now that churches are like, oh, we don't like these modern choruses. Let's do these good old classics like A Mighty Fortress is Our God, knowing that hundreds of years ago it went through the same thing. I don't know that I care so much about the modern music. You know, some people like the old classics. Some people like the modern tunes. That doesn't matter to me. Some people like the piano and organ. Some people want guitars and drums. Acoustics aside, I don't know that I care. I don't know that I care about whether or not we all, ha- all the guys have to wear a suit and tie and the women wear dresses or if we can dress a little more casual because I don't see that as biblical. But it's the biblical stuff that we're, that we're, that we're shifting on that worries me when I can go to the Bible and say, this is what it says, and people say, well, yeah, but that was 2,000 years ago. It's the biblical stuff that matters. If the teachings of Christ have withstood 2,000 years, why would I think that my version is better? How arrogant. Society changes all the time, and I'm not against our methods changing. Methods, not doctrine. When we talk about the truths of the Bible, these are timeless truths, and I can't improve upon them, and they're not open for debate. If you want a successful church, it's not in attendance. I like attendance but because that means more people are hearing that God loves them. But it's not in attendance. It's not in our, fi- our financial statement. Again, it's nice to have a church that can, that can pay the bills. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the sign of success. Our success is in whether or not we are biblical, whether we are faithful to our founding principles. Do you know, you know what, Harvard and Yale... Both those schools were created for the purpose of training preachers. At one time, to get in to Harvard and Yale, to Harvard in particular, when, when they opened their doors, to get in, you had to prove that you already could read Greek well enough that you could work your way through the Greek New Testament. 
That was a prerequisite for getting into the school. Nobody today would say that these schools are bastions of Christian faith. In fact, if anything, they've produced a lot of people who have really undermined the church. And so we have to say that they've not been true to their founding principles, that they've changed. Let it never be said about this church that we have ever changed our founding principles. Our goal is to be biblical. That's our only goal. I'd love to see the numbers grow and be biblical. But if the numbers shrink and we're still biblical, I'm okay with that, as long as we're biblical. The church is not a social club. It's not here to do what you want. It's not here even to make you feel good. In fact, I would argue that if we're being biblical, it should step on toes. It's the purpose of the church is to show me how to get right with God. And assuming that I can't do that on my own and that I didn't start out right with God, then it should occasionally show me this is where I need improvement. And that should sting. That shouldn't come easy. That will hurt a bit when I find out that I'm not perfect and right with God. The church will not always make you feel good. It will make you feel uncomfortable at times. And that's okay. That's its job. There is a right way, which is the way that Christ passed on his teachings to the apostles who were passing it on to the early church. That's what we opened with. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There's a right way to do things, and there's a wrong way. And the right way is the way that Christ passed on to his apostles, that they passed on through the New Testament to us, and there's everything else. My way, which is the wrong way, if it's not biblical. If we are to be Christians, then we devote ourselves, like the early church in Acts chapter 2, to right teaching. Devote is not Sunday morning only, is it? These guys didn't devote themselves for a few hours a week. They devoted themselves. They devoted their lives to, to the right doctrine of the church daily, not weekly. Devotion is not a passing hobby. It's not something that we do occasionally. It is wholehearted. These believers made their faith their top priority. It wasn't something they did on the side. They met together for spiritual growth. This was their priority. And so we ask the question, what about us? What, what priority do we make the church of Christ? Because we get out of it what we put into it. And if we only put in a little bit, we're only going to get out a little bit. Um, the example that the early believers set us is one of devotion to sound doctrine. They grew through good teaching. Good teaching matters. It's not a, uh, this is right for you, this is right for me. Good teaching means we're on the same page and that page is biblical. And that, that is the sign of a successful church. The church grows through good teaching. The church also grows through good fellowship. Um, I enjoyed, I, so I went to Lincoln Christian, back then it was called Lincoln Christian College and Seminary. Um, I did Bible college for four years. And then I took, Eight years to pick away at a two-year master's degree? Um, I'm afraid to say I only picked... I did, I, did, I did a year. I took like four or five years off. I did a part-time semester. I did, I, I did, a, I did like a part-time year. Took another four years off. Did a part-time year. Um, finally got that master's degree after eight, eight years of picking away at it. Bible college was neat. And then in the middle of Bible college, I went to the University of North Dakota for a semester um, in linguistics the Summer Institute of Linguistics at North Dakota, which was amazing because it wasn't... The Summer Institute of Linguistics is affiliated uh, with Pioneer Bible Translators. Not, sorry, with, with 
Wycliffe Bible Translators. Pioneer uses it. Um, Wycliffe Bible Translators does the Summer Institute of Linguistics. And, and so the people that were at this were not just people that were into linguistics, but it was also people that were interested in Bible translation. It was like an entire school of people that like breathed my, my, the, the very air that I breathed. It, it, these were all people that were into a lot of what I was into, and it was amazing. And it was so neat, but, but from all these different denominational backgrounds, it was a lot of fun to have all these Christians together with very different, sometimes, interpretations of the Bible, but devoted to, to the concept that everybody needs the Bible and that it needs to be translated. And so you've got Presbyterians and Baptists and Methodists and Lutherans and everybody gathered together debating, debating the Bible, but, but knowing that the Bible was worth giving your life to, to translate. Oh, I loved that. That was fun. Um, that, that it was a community in a neat way. Don't get me wrong. I loved the community of Lincoln Christian College and Seminary. Living in Bible College was amazing. All people from the Christian churches and churches of Christ together was a lot of fun. But there was something really fun about North Dakota that, that it, it challenged my beliefs. It challenged my doctrine. It was iron sharpening iron, um, passionate, passionate about the Word of God, and I, and I loved it. Um, I, I loved that it was just always around me. It wasn't Sunday morning only. We, we live in busy times. I think we are as busy as a, as a society as we have ever been. I think everybody would probably agree with me. The purpose of technology is to make life easier, and it has failed spectacularly. We are the busiest we have ever been. I, our paperless society, not to pick on my bank, but these, my receipts just got infinitely longer. I go to the bank, and I get receipts this long for depositing a check, and I don't get it. How is this a paper system? They used to be, when I moved here, they were that long. Now they're this long. Why, are, why is our paperless society using up so much paper? Um, why is it that it takes longer to fill out forms online than it does if I just had a pencil or, or, or a black ink pen or a blue ink pen and, and just filled them out um, and, and, and mailed it in? I, technology, has, I feel like, has not made my life easier. I hear that a lot. Um, we live in busy times, and I think that we are as busy as a, as a culture as we have ever again. Many American professions work harder and harder. To, many, many American professionals work harder and harder to make ends meet than they did 30, 40, 50 years ago. It, you know, the concept of... You, you watch these old, wonderful old black and white shows... Um, pre-color TV, when you had Leave it to Beaver and, 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 and Father Knows Best and these wonderful shows that show something that is complete fantasy now. Dad goes to work, mom stays home, um, and, and everybody's happy and the bills are met. And the concept of a single, you know, dad working and mom able to stay home and pay the bills is almost a thing of the past. There's a few people that can pull it off, but most Americans look at that and say, that's not the world I live in. I don't make enough to, to, to be able to let my spouse stay home. Um, that, and, and so we're busy. And so we're, we're trying to cram in. How do we raise the kids when we're both at work? And, 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 and hobbies have become kind of overwhelming. The internet overwhelms us. And, and we are obsessed with our hobbies today. In way, we, we don't have our boundaries, most of us. And, and we're struggling with that, and we're struggling to keep things 
in, in their place. We're busy. I'm, I struggle with this. I'm, I'm busy. I think this is a very difficult thing to keep life in balance. Time is precious. The problem is that if we are too busy, then we're too busy. It's not the Bible that is out of whack with our world. Our world is out of whack with, uh, out, out of step with the Bible and with the culture. Um, it is important to prioritize the things of the Bible. I need to prioritize. One of the ways that we see this is in the church. There's a negative effect that that being too busy has had on the church. You know, I said a moment ago that the church isn't a social club, and I stand behind that statement. But, I'm, but it, there is a social aspect to the church. My point is it's just not the point. The point of the church isn't to give you a social outlet, but there is a social aspect to the church. That's part of how it, how it works, how it exists. It's not why it exists, but it draw, the church exists to draw us close to God. But one of the ways that we do that is through the social aspect. It's through the us factor. As a community, the church is greater than the sum of its parts. We help each other grow as the church. The early church was committed to, not just the apostles' teaching, but daily fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, community prayer. Breaking of bread, by the way, has two meanings in the Bible, and we see in this passage both. That's what I like about this. Breaking of bread can mean communion, but it can also mean just eating together, getting in each other's lives. Whether or not it's a potluck in the fellowship room or whether it's not just, hey, do you want to go grab, you know, do you want to go grab a a hamburger at, at insert your favorite fast food place? It can mean that too. And, 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 this, and a struggle in the New Testament is, is it takes a little bit of learning how to read context of when breaking of bread means eating together and when it means communion. But in this case, in this passage, I think we see both. Um, I see, we see them that they're, that they're breaking bread together in, in homes with each other, but then we also see it lumped with prayer, and, we, and, and I think the context is more communion. These disciples were in each other's lives. This is essential for spiritual growth. We cannot downplay encouragement and accountability. Both are essential. We, as a country, we've become so individualized. The, the American culture is very private, I might say selfish at times, absolutely. Um, very much we don't like accountability. Very much as a country, our, our populace is a mind-your-own-business, get-off-my-lawn, um, I, I am. You know, I don't, we, I, I don't, the preachers used to, some of you remember this, preachers used to show up unannounced, knock on your door, and expect to be invited in. Boy, that, <laughs> you can get fired for that these days in some churches because people don't want that. I'm going to, full confession, I'm not, I I would be terrified about people coming by and expecting to just come on in without an invitation because we would want to clean the house first and there are things that we, and that's the way our culture is, we weren't always this way. And I'm not saying that culture is right or wrong, but biblically, we see that the early church was in each other's lives. And, And the further we get into a more private culture where we do our own things and, and we keep to ourselves we go to work, we get off work, we go home, we bury ourselves online or in our TVs, 
And, and I think that TV, even before the internet, I think that TV kind of got us focused on, you know, coming home, sitting on a chair, and, and being private. As, as our culture goes further that way, we recognize that the church biblically can't afford to keep pace with that. At least in the church, there should be some, some encouragement and some friendship and, and, and accountability, helping each other to grow. Um, I know that the spiritual growth that I have did not come from being alone, reading the Bible alone, maybe even watching a Christian movie alone, that it, that it takes other people to help me grow spiritually. Now, let me, let me also say, I'm not trying to hold up, I'm not trying to say that there weren't problems in the early church. I'm not trying to create this illusion that the early church was, the, uh, was an example of a communal society that had everything perfect, that everybody lived in perfect utopian harmony, that there were no problems. Because when we get to Acts chapter 6, we see specifically that it, that it was breaking down in places. Okay. But they started with the, with the right direction. They were a united community. And I'm, and I'm not saying that churches don't have some friendliness and some accountability. We just have to make sure that we stay on top of it. They ate together. They were a united community. They were friends. They were in each other's lives. Accountable to one another for spiritual growth. Their homes were open to one another. And I just think that that's something that we need to get back to when we lose it. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle for me to look at that and say, but I don't want people in my lives that much. We're busy and we're private. When the church fell on hard times, we see that they helped each other out. When they had good times, they celebrated together. They were there for each other, in good and in bad. A church needs to be more than just associates, even friends that get together. The key word here isn't friendship, but it's community. And community is something bigger than friendship. Um, If it's just friendship, first off, a church won't grow past about 100 people because you start getting in too many people for everybody to know everybody. A church needs to be more than just friends. The concept of community is is big and it's massive. and, And... and something that is a, as a culture in the U.S. in 2022 we're starting to lose as we become more privatized and insular, but the church needs to fight against that, and, and, and we need to be prepared to be in each other's lives. Third thing I want to say about this passage that we read, we see that the church grows through good teaching, the church grows through community and fellowship, the church grows through goodwill. We read that everybody was filled with awe. They looked at this early church and they were filled with awe because they hadn't seen anything like this before. And I don't think this was just because of the miracles. Um, there is a, there's a phrase that's used at the end of this passage that they enjoyed the favor of the people. Years ago, years ago, um, back in the 50s, 60s, um, China wanted to do a study, communist China wanted to do a study on why U.S. businesses, United States businesses were so successful. And in doing so, they sent, they sent people to do some research. And, and their citizens who did research came back and they said, the, so many of the, the, this was communist China, this was their, their findings. So many U.S. businessmen are Christian. And the question isn't whether or not they can get away with getting caught 
defrauding someone, they know they're being watched, even if they get away with it. Because they feel that morality and ethics is bigger than just what you can get away with, they will act with integrity in business, even if they think they could get away with defrauding someone or cheating, because they answer to a higher power. That's what Communist China said. That's not preachers in the U.S. saying that. And that's obviously not all Christian businessmen, and we know that, but, or not all, even all American businessmen. But so many, you know, I believe that when there are Christians in a community, the community will be better for it. I believe that when Christians are active in their society, as, as educators, as businessmen and women, as educators, as voters, I, b- I believe that when Christians are active in their, in their community, that the community just becomes better. A community will always flourish when true Christians are a part of that community. Now, of course, I say true Christians. People that come to church on Sunday morning and then don't act Christ-like through the rest of the week, we're not, we're not talking about that. That's a hypocrisy. When our faith is not just an act, when our faith is not inconsistent, um, people will notice and will see and will care Christians are the best kinds of citizens. When we as Christians devote ourselves daily to doing good, we will earn people's goodwill. How can we not? And when we devote ourselves to doing good, we will see the church grow. Now, let me be clear. On the one hand, I do believe that the church will grow numerically. I think people will see the church and say, I want to be a part of that. And I think that that by and large, churches will grow when people act Christ-like. Now, Will there be enemies of the church? Of course there will be. There will always be enemies of the church. There will always be people that will look at the church and say, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, Some people have hardened their hearts. No matter what good you do for them, no matter what gospel you preach, they will reject it. The Bible assures us of this. But for everyone else, there are those who are hurting, who know that life without God is not working out, but they don't know where to turn. For those people who want hope, The church has the answers, and we can prove that. And we don't even have to prove it with words. We can show that in our lives, that the church answers the problems of our lives. Our integrity will win people to Christ when words alone may not argue them into belief, and the church will grow. When we live lives of integrity and devote ourselves to doing good, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. But I also believe that even if no one listens, and even if the numeric number doesn't go up, we will grow. Because individually, our goal is to grow closer to God, to become more Christ-like. And that's growth, and that counts. If the numbers don't go up, I still want to be biblical. If the numbers in this building don't grow up over the course of months, years, as long as we're being biblical, and helping those who are already here to be more Christ-like, then we are doing our job. Being Christ-like is the reward. In devoting myself to good, I devote myself to his will. And I can't help but grow spiritually as I devote myself to his will. As I draw closer to him, I become more Christ-like. That's a promise. So whether or not the church grows numerically, I want to be faithful to the mission of the church. I want to grow individually spiritually and as your as your preacher i want to help you to grow spiritually as well
devoted to his teachings as seen in the Bible, and to his church, and to his will in the world. Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 328. Everyone, every day, every teaching, this is what it means to be devoted to him. I'm not so sure that our goal is to grow as it is to draw close. And when we draw close to God, we will grow. Um, growth isn't, the goal is to draw close to God. And when we do that, there are fruits to that. Um, and, and that's what I see in this passage. That's what I see throughout the book of Acts, that when we draw close to God, the reward for that is that the church grows. Uh, and that's our challenge then. Um, not so much to focus on numbers, but to just focus on our own growth and, and, and our own uh, goal to become more godly, more Christ-like. As we bec- if we all do that, the church will grow. I believe that. Um, and we as individuals will grow, and that's the, that's, that's the fruit that we see. If you haven't made the decision to accept Christ as your Savior, I want to invite you to have that. Let's have that conversation today. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.